I think that what is very important for leaders like me, for CIOs, is to make sure that they have an ongoing curiosity to learn. Showing that curiosity and the appreciation of the importance of technology that allows you to engage your teams. Never stop learning. That's the message from our guest today, Vittorio Cortello, the CIO of Procter & Gamble. For Vittorio, it all boils down to staying curious. He talks with us about how artificial intelligence is being utilized all across Procter & Gamble and how data is being used to improve the experience for customers and much more. Enjoy this episode. Vittorio, welcome to the show. Hi, Albert. I'm glad to be here. Procter & Gamble is a 184-years-old company, <laughs> which uh, makes and sells products across 10 daily categories of consumables in more than 160 countries. And it's the same company that created the floating ivory soap bar back in 1879. And yet the same company that launched in the past couple of years, the AI-driven oral BIO electric toothbrush. So we can say that all over those years, innovation has been part of our DNA. And today, innovation is also machine learning. So machine learning is embedded in anything we do and is increasingly embedded in our products. No, that is fantastic. And we want to get started right away on some of those levels of innovation. But for our audience to understand a little bit about our guest, Vittorio, he not only is the CIO of Procter & Gamble, he had previously served at Mars, which of course is most famous for its chocolate. So Vittorio has literally been for decades been helping build and innovate products that I think has reached 100% market penetration. I cannot imagine a household that has never used a P&G product or a Mars product. But currently today, P&G, you just mentioned something really exciting. You talked about AI as a part of the value chain for creating consumer goods. Now, that's not something we normally think about. Like, what do you mean AI? I use soap. I use shampoo. I use toilet paper. Like, what do you mean AI is involved in this process? Because manufacturing is changing very fast. Give us an idea of what's going on behind the scenes and what you're working on at a company like P&G. I'd say that uh, digital transformation and digital in general is a game changer for the consumer packaged good industry and for P&G. The CPG industry embraced digital later than other industries, but now it is in full swing. Mm -hmm. And really a source of constructive disruption for three key areas. One, innovation. The second, consumer engagement. And last but not least, productivity. So in innovation, digital makes us faster. And for example, modeling and simulation, today we use it to shorten the time to qualify, say, molecules for our formulas for months to weeks. And digitization is more and more embedded in our products, uh, as it is the case for the product I just mentioned before, the AI-driven oral I.O. electric toothbrush, which as an example, right, our data and AI builds a superior consumer experience, driving you now to best brush your teeth as you use it. So those end-to-end -end consumer experience starts with consumer engagement and brand communication, which is also something that we can personalize thanks to data and AI communicating at the right time with the right frequency and with the right content. And central also to this end-to-end -end superior experience is the shopping act. You know, and in that space, we work with retailers to make engaging and seamless 
across online and offline channels using algorithm to define and optimize product assortment, shelf displays, and promotional activities. And finally, by digitizing and automating our business processes, we can reach new level of productivity, reducing inventories, avoiding waste, optimizing return on investment of our promotional activity. And so in the end, applying digitization and leveraging data and AI across all these dimensions translate for P&G into superior product and consumer experiences, and in the end, growth and value for our shareholders. That's awesome to hear. You know, I'd love to hear like a more real world example or like a use case that demonstrates this capability because you hit on a couple things in that, what you just mentioned. And I could see that all coming into play just in the last like two years where supply chains were pushed to the max, arguably still are. We already know no one wants to carry inventory. Everyone wants like fast turnaround. They want just enough product on the shelf. It impacts manufacturing, shipping, sales. Everyone down the value chain wants low inventory carryover. They want high turnover and sell the products. Give us an idea of what's been happening just the last two years, because it seems like, you know, if you've been preparing for this moment, that this is where these things really come into play. Yeah. Let me just give you a practical example of using AI to uh, increase productivity across the supply chain. One of the Example I often uh, refer to is uh, one of the key issues in CPG is when you um, shift products. So when you phase in a new product, you replace a product. And often that phasing of a product in and phasing of the old product out results into a lot of waste and out of stock of the new product. So uh, yeah. what we have been doing, we've been leveraging AI and specifically we have using a mixed integral linear programming algorithm to optimize the inventory quantities, taking into account consumer demand, production plans, the bill of materials and the raw materials involved with the uh, two uh, different uh, uh, products that have to be phased. And we use that today across 65%, more than 65% of our product changes. And the result was uh, between in excess of $60 million dollars of savings uh, mm. because of uh, you know better inventories and uh, scrap avoidance across the supply chain. So when this partnership that you have, is it like your guys are sharing data back and forth with retailers? So for example, if you, where you're saying, hey, you got data on how the product is selling, for example, let's say regionally, and then a retailer might have data suggesting, hey, this is how we're selling in store. And this helps them identify the maybe the best blend of products to, to carry. Yeah, increasingly, you know, we um, we apply data is is key part of uh, getting value, business value with AI, and increasingly we look at a large scope of data that includes uh, the extended supply chain, so retailers as well as uh, vendors. We have been intentional with data since day one, and one of the key challenges for a large large enterprise like uh, Procter and Gamble is to break across silos of information. Yeah. So that by adopting you know consistent taxonomy. By consolidating data assets into our, into our enterprise data lake, you know, we overcome the legacy data architecture that historically has been built aligned to functions and to transactional processes. So breaking through that enables use cases transversally across the company and the extended company, so vendors and customers. And uh, it's a necessary step because there aren't today, if you want data mesh solutions that you can apply at scale so that you can connect data regardless of where they sit, that you need really to consolidate and use the same taxonomy. And that means making data visible and supporting that with horizontal enterprise data platforms that allows the ingestion, preparation, the metadata, the quality, security, 
so that you apply that across multiple data pipeline and you can feed your algorithms and your model that, like the example I gave, will provide you know better performance, more efficiency and resiliency across the supply chain. Give us an idea of how, what it takes globally in regards to like people, personnel, staff, skills to do this because P&G, you guys have, I don't know how many brands, I, I know a lot, right? You mentioned hundreds of countries and then we all know, and for anyone who's not traveled internationally, yes. for anyone who's not traveled internationally, when a big company represents itself in another country, the SKUs are different, like the size of the packaging is different, the brands are different, everything's different, right? And then the infrastructure of each given country is also different. So what we might have as big box retail infrastructure here in the United States, you go to somewhere like Costa Rica, it's, it's not like that. You know, it's a lot different. I mean, if I go to a remote yeah. surf town in Costa Rica, I'm still can get access to a PNG product. It's very diverse. <laughs> yeah. It's very, it's large, diverse. So it means that you have to go uh, to scale, uh, but with granularity. And the recipe we have used uh, at basically four key ingredients, data, talent, a platform approach, and trust. I spoke about data, right? Mm -hmm. And how to make sure, how we made sure that we consolidate them and we uh, use those consistent taxonomy and we leverage our uh, enterprise data lake uh, to make sure that we can look at data across functions and across processes. Now, another key factor that you mentioned is talent. Yeah. Starting with the powerful group of hundreds of data scientists on one end are organized as a team, and on the other end are really embedded across the organization so that they are really close to activate business cases, you know, to uh, contribute with that last mile of customization of adaptation of an algorithms so that it fully provides the value. So we've invested uh, in data science, but also invested in strong internal data and machine learning engineering capabilities. We have a healthy ratio of 50-50 of internal and external resources mm. so that we can maintain expertise. But at the same time, we have the elasticity that we need to meet you know, rapidly growing demand. And, and the ratio of 50-50 varies depending on roles. So large majority of data scientists, for instance, are internal, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and we focus on upskilling. Uh, we have an internal training program that has multiple levels of certification. And I must say, we are really blessed by having an incredible group of talent people. Now, I spoke about platforms, and that is something specific to our success formula, the capability to build algorithms that can address a broad set of business challenges and opportunities. So as an example, we have an algorithm that is proprietary, it's called Neighborhood Analytics, that is used to classify clusters of stores or neighborhoods based on consumer demographics and consumptions and demand signals, including point of sales data. Now, that algorithm has several applications in marketing, sales and distribution, and our data scientists work very closely in those cross-functional teams to activate use cases. It's something, for instance, that allows us to say which type of product assortment should be distributed in that specific cluster of stores, which type of promotional activities, which type of uh, combination of social media type of advertising with promotion in stores. So, endless combination, as you said, to cope with the diversity of the different uh, trade structure uh, around the 160 countries we operate with and really have a granular application of the power of this platform, but to a diverse set of, um, of use cases. And then finally, in our formula to a scale, there is trust. 
and is building trust in AI, building trust in the prediction of AI across the organization, which is a major cultural challenge requiring a combination to uh, explainability, but at the same time, because there is no something like um, a magic wand of explainability today. So it has to be combined with leadership support. Also, processes and systems to make sure that uh, we monitor AI compliance and we avoid bias and drift. And all those, you know, all these components, as I said, data, talent, platform approach and trust are what allowed us to scale AI across the whole PNG. Yeah. It's an amazing complex thing because when we're at the grocery store or something like that, and we see, you know, some bounty paper towels or something like that at one of the PNG brands, it's really mind boggling to think about how much digitization, AI, machine learning, technical talent, I guess is the best way to describe it, that it takes just to figure out what's the right number of paper towel rolls to carry on the store. What's the optimum shipment? What's the blend in the market? What's the promotion? Because when we all get PNG coupons, I think a lot of consumers are like, oh, it's, you know, it says $5 off, 10% off. But it's, it's, it's crazy to think about how structured the approach is to think, hey, this is the optimum outcome if we give this type of promotion in this zip code. And then just an example, Albert, because AI, machine learning are at the core of everything we do. Not just the examples that we discuss, but all the area of our business. Yeah, sure. Evaluating optimized promotion, but also scheduling TV advertising. Yeah. Optimizing the way you display your products on the shelves, both brick and mortar shelf, but also online. The way we um, bid for advertising or uh, bid for online search. The formula recommenders for our RD engineers. And also the, the increasingly the use we do of algorithm, including deep learning for images to analyze product quality directly on the production line. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, a comprehensive scope. As I said, it's really enabled by about 200 uh, internal data scientists, many of them PhD level, and a robust AI engineering team, MLOps capabilities, uh, working with 10 petabytes of data and the equivalent of thousands of CPUs and hundreds of GPUs. <laughs> and the growth of our AI capabilities over the last three years has been exponential. Really going from augmenting the human capability with descriptive analytics to now automating decisions that humans decide to delegate uh, with prescriptive AI, which is about taking the prediction of AI and injecting them directly back into business processes and systems uh, with APIs. Now, let me, let me ask you, change the subject a little bit, but keep on the same track. You know, as a consumer, we've heard a lot of examples of how it's going to help you operate the business better, but there's also, you mentioned in your stories, how it's going to help us as consumers. You mentioned the toothbrush, for example. This technology, like you said, is being able to make it safer, better, cleaner. I'm, I'm assuming every product category we can look at at P&G, like I'll use one of the soaps, Tide, right? Or uh, detergents, Tide. Probably you guys are trying to figure out, I'm assuming, how to make it clean better with less raw material at a lower cost constant product innovation, right? Like, What are some of the things you think you look forward to seeing unleashed maybe in the next five years that, you know, some of the things that would not be available otherwise because prior to AI? Yeah, what I can share, obviously. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> but I must say, generally, um, for our consumers, data are becoming an integral part of their superior experience. And we use data to uh, feed our innovation. So you'll be amazed to see how much of the consumer research that we perform today is enabled by data and by IoT technology. So uh, in the home of our consumer panels, giving us really 
insights about consumer behavior that we feed into uh, our product development. But in general, for our consumers, when they opt in with us, we can digitize the product usage and behaviors and gain a better understanding of the jobs to be done in the home, which in turn allow us to create better products and better guidance uh, for consumers on how to use them. So our BIO has been the leading example, as we said, how to use the uh, product user information to provide direct feedback to the consumer and advice. And you'll see that talking about uh, something that is coming up, you know, the new Oral-B IO 10 make this process even more frictionless because you get real-time feedback on br- brushing area coverage and the pressure you apply mm. from the base without the need to connect via our mobile phone. So directly in your bathroom, the, the charging base of the uh, toothbrush will uh, show you um, how to best uh, brush your teeth. And really is an example of how digitization deepens the relationship between P&G and consumers, which I think is fascinating. I've been in this industry for uh, 35 years, and I've never seen, like in the past 10 years, the increasingly intimacy that is being created between manufacturers and consumers and the value that can be generated into uh, and the data can generate into advice and services that we can provide. So consumer choose to share the data with us, and we use that to continually improve the product. I'm telling you right now, my son needs that. Everyone who's got kids who's had a struggle getting them to brush their teeth properly, you need an AI-powered toothbrush that sends the signal right to the charging base. So exactly, to tell you the kid, hey, get your front teeth a little bit more, get your back teeth a little more. I'm telling you right now, if my kids had that, I'm assuming it'd be better because right now, they have you ever seen a kid brush their teeth? But they're not good at it. <laughs> when you think about the push, the push and the demand for innovation, because consumers, like you said, this is for the, it's for the business, but it's also for the consumers and consumers constantly want more from you as well, right? Then there's always going to want more, better products, faster, cheaper. Everything's going to be more, more, more. Technology is going to, everyone wants more, more, more. When you think about how all these things are pulling at each other, maximum bandwidth, uh, more demands for support and innovation, how do you think about accelerating innovation, but also, because that big part of what you said was that trust, maintaining the security and standards so that things are done properly. Because that old mantra in software of move fast and break things, man, that does not apply for CPG. You cannot send and ship product out there that has got problems or, you know, things like that. Like the consumers are not forgiving if there's like, you know, something wrong with my toothpaste. Like I'm not going to be forgiving for that. Yeah, I think it's, if we take the example of AI, one way of accelerating innovation and scaling up while at the same time uh, maintaining quality is uh, leveraging automation. Mm. And I believe that we have no choice in the future to really embrace automation to scale AI, uh, which is central to our digital transformation uh, strategy. What we want to do is to make sure that in things like uh, data, we create a way of making it easier for our data scientists, who, if you uh, look at many surveys, spent a large amount of that time uh, creating those data pipelines, cleansing data, integrating them, uh, to have the capability to um, create those data pipeline and integrate the data uh, in a self-service mode and with quality. And so one thing that we developed internally is um, uh, an ETL engine uh, that provides, uh, it's called Turbine, that provides the data preparation capability, allows the creation, execution, and monitoring of ETL processes via simplified visual interface, mm. You know, taking advantage at the same time of features that make sure that you have integration with the 
services like data quality, metadata creation, security, and others. And thanks to that, our data scientists, architects, business owners can produce those refined data sets in no time to fit our analytical solution and the algorithm development process. Another area where we increasingly leverage automation to accelerate innovation for AI is model development mm. and the whole life cycle of algorithm development. So we have a vision that is going from prototyping models that needs to be translated for production to developing production-ready model from day one, which means that we are creating the AI factory, which automates away complexity and give the data scientists and the AI engineers the capability to develop, deploy, govern, monitor models in the cloud and at the edge, along with the experimentation platform that they need to continue to evaluate and improve the models, right? And then finally, you know, again, in the journey to uh, automate and accelerate AI, we have to take account of trust. And so uh, make sure that uh, risk and bias management capabilities grow accordingly. Uh, and we really moving from a manual model of risk assessment to something systemic, digitalized. Um, and today we have self-assessment guides. We have roles of model risk officers that are assigned to each product. But what we are now introducing is a new capability that will track and record uh, models uh, when they are in productions. So that's an example of uh, how do we make sure that while we develop innovation, um, we make sure that um, uh, we don't lose track of the quality and the security. Um, and it's a matter, I say, of creating policies and processes that are usable and uh, striking, if you want, the right trade-off between um, the importance of the depth, uh, the robustness of the policies and its usability. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, automation, like in, in the DevOps process, equipping our software engineers with capability to um, perform automated testing to provide in their pipelines an immediate report that says, here is how the code you have developed needs to be reviewed or has some security flows. And basically, uh, the famous shifting left of some of the tasks, like making code secure, will make sure that um, the final quality will be higher. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I mean, uh, there's you know, like you said, like if you're not developing the tooling that can monitor these processes for you, because the it's just moving too fast. It's no longer people. It can't be people anymore to monitor these products. You got to have so, layers of automation. There is a Alberta people component, right? So um, there is nothing worse, by the way, than a perfect policy that is not followed by anybody. That's true. And, <laughs> and, and one thing that helps, one thing that helps is to embed members from info security, architecture, governance in the development teams. Mm -hmm. So making sure that they are there. And again, they reflect this effective, realistic trade-off between purpose of a policy or a standard and applicability, right? But again, automation, I think, will give a lot of uh, additional, if you want, leeway of, uh, and, uh, and capability to the development teams, to the coder, and will, will be key to match speed with quality. So one of the things I wanted to ask, you know, you shared a ton about how PNG operates, how it's thinking about how digital transformation, digitization is going to make consumer products better for the businesses, for the consumers, everywhere all around. I'm curious for yourself, where do you like to spend your time and energy? Because there's a lot of things you oversee, right? <laughs> what fires you up when you wake up in the morning and you say, hey, I'm going to go to work today? What gets you excited? Is it some of the new product innovation? Is it some of the implementation of processes? Like, give an idea of what gets you excited or most fired up about your role and the industry you're in. 
I think, first of all, I keep saying that there hasn't been a more exciting time to be a CIO, right, with uh, in CPG, with technology becoming so mainstream to the, the business value proposition. I think that what is very important for leaders like me, for CIOs, but also for the um, uh, technologies at large, is to make sure that um, they have an ongoing curiosity to learn. And there is so much that is taking place today, and there is so much that we need to be aware of, uh, that uh, learning agility and curiosity to learn must be part uh, of what you do and must be exactly the uh, um, thing that uh, gets you up in the morning uh, and gets you uh, really excited. Showing that curiosity and the appreciation of the importance of technology is also, I think, a factor that allows you to engage uh, your teams. And it's not about micromanagement. It's about having the capability to um, have a broad perspective of the business, but at the same time, it's a bit the helicopter view. Uh, sometime, you know, dive in and getting into detail to um, understand more of what's behind, what's under the hood, and how does the engine work. And uh, that feeds and builds your judgment. Uh, your technology judgment. So I think that that's um, what is fascinating. And it's very broad scope. As you said, there is so much that today technology can provide. And there are so many applications. And and for me, another thing that is very exciting for IT leaders today is the possibility to connect the dots and making sure that uh, we can uh, understand how to apply the technology, how to generate business value. So the same curiosity that applies to technology has to apply to a curiosity of about our consumers, our business processes, how our business works. You know, I think that's fascinating and is one of the things that uh, should be motivating for any technologist who think of um, investing uh, into a part of all their career into uh, becoming an IT professional in CPG like have been for the last 35 years. Yeah, and we know that a lot of people learn from peers, but the reality is where you sit is there's only a handful of peers. So do you learn from people that are also in CPG or do you, I'm assuming you have to go outside your industry because there's only a handful of people in, you know, like at the level of production that P&G, right? Like if I were to say, looking across my street, who looks like me? Well, there's only a handful of companies, which means there's only a handful of CIOs that have a role similar to yours in CPG. Now there's more if you go outside that industry, like you go into like auto manufacturing, like anyone who has that global footprint, national footprint, international footprint. I'm curious, who do you learn from? Like who do you bounce ideas off of? I think the the ecosystem and the peer network must be very diverse, and it obviously should include Fortune 500 companies, but also have a strong connection to the ecosystem of innovation, including venture capitals, accelerators, okay. incubators. I had the opportunity of taking two years as advisor for digital transformation and getting very close to uh, the ecosystem of innovation um, and spending more time that um, my daily job as CIO allows me to. And I think is a great source of inspiration on one end and also a great source of learning. And so I wouldn't say that uh, obviously you need to work and benchmark yourself and create that healthy uh, network of relationship with uh, CIO and business leaders in the industry, in CPG and uh, beyond CPG in Fortune 500. But at the same time, I'll say the the ecosystem of innovation, it's uh, definitely a place that a CIO needs to invest time in. No doubt about it. The old belief in startup world is that enterprises move slowly. So innovation typically happens at software companies that are you know just start emerging. So 
I like the way you approach it where it's like, hey, you're going to look at your peers, but you also got to look at these startups because they are obviously a lot of times trying to do something that has never been done before. Pretty exciting stuff. Now for yourself, you know, I'd love for our audience to learn a little bit more about you because you've had a long career in CPG. When you started, what were you thinking when you first started getting into this industry? Did you think, hey, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to invest all my time, global CIO. Most people don't think that way. They think, hey, I'm just going to do a good job right now, right here and do the best I can. Give us an idea. What were you like when you first entered the industry? Well, let's say that uh, I was as passionate as I am today. <laughs> yeah. Seeing uh, the results of applied technology. And I'm passionate about technology. And above all, I'm passionate about technology being used uh, to drive business value. And in, in our case, uh, what, what is very exciting and is very exciting for any new joiners uh, into our organization and to see how technology translates into a superior uh, value proposition for billions of consumers around the world, right? And so uh, I think that um, when I started, two things that kept me really engaged is on one end, understanding how the business work and um, at the same time, keep learning about how technology can contribute to the business. And this is really what um, I invite any of our new joiners to use those two things. Number one, continue to be proficient with technology, which you achieve through training certifications, but above all, practicing throughout their career. So never lose that muscle of doing some hands-on work or getting close to the detail. So you can keep alive that level of judgment and understanding of technology. And at the same time, continue to gain a broad business perspective. And you know, it's so exciting in a company like PNG, you said it before, across 160 countries, across 10 categories, uh, ranging from, you know, as you said, paper towels, mm -hmm. healthcare, feminine care, baby care, beauty, fabric, and, and home care. So um, it's very diverse and gives a lot of opportunity to learn across very diverse markets. And for our employees, the fact that they can rotate across different parts of organization, including roles that are embedded in business units at the core phase of our business is a huge opportunity to learn. And by the way, over the past two years, intentionally, I injected more IT resources into our lines of business, rebalancing the organization of central teams with really dedicated resources in our category and markets, where our consumers and customers are. And so all that helps developing the learning agility muscle and what is, is the, the thing that keeps me going after so many years, um, because technology keeps constantly changing. Yeah. And it's so pervasive to everything we do. So we need to constantly learn and experiment. And I was lucky during my career, and uh, I'm very keen to give IT employees, uh, our IT people, the same opportunity to have, I was given space to experiment and to uh, continuously learn. And uh, that because I had leaders who had the appreciation of what it takes uh, to unleash, unleash the power of technology. Um, which an appreciation that I believe as a leader comes from really practicing the helicopter view that I mentioned before. So having a broad perspective of uh, the business landscape, at the same time to deep dive into details, not to micromanage, but to gain more understanding and therefore uh, educate your own judgment. So that leadership attitude, I think is the best way to train, coach our workforce and make them successful at their job and, and develop their career. You know, we had IT visionaries get to interview a lot of great CTOs, CIOs, VPs of engineering across multiple sectors. And that's the one thing we always hear about is like, you know, if they're at a, if you are a young technical mind and you feel as though you're 
innovation is being stymied by company process or protocols, most of those minds will eventually choose to leave. So it's pretty exciting to hear that since sounds like since you came out of school that you've always been afforded the opportunity to build, learn, try new things, keeping that mind fresh. I mean, really, you wouldn't think of a CPG company acting as a software company, but it kind of has similar principles as, as a tech company. Hey, like you got to engineer, you got to innovate, you got to keep building. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And uh, as a matter of fact, we are insourcing engineering capability in greater numbers, yeah. uh, including software engineers. So we have a plan to uh, recruit in excess of 1,100 <laughs> software engineers over the next three years. Because it's, it's mainstream of what we do today, whether it's mobile applications, whether it's web applications, AI and MLOps. Um, so applying really um, those engineering capability across the board. But it's, I mean, it's a tough market, as you know, yeah. right? Uh, as many others, we have uh, unique recruiting challenges. It's a common theme across the industry. Common theme. Over the last, especially in the last two years, people are evaluating their priorities, changing their expectation, uh, including where to work, leave, play, and work is not always the, the top priority. <laughs> and so, um, and, and by the way, as we source engineering capability in greater numbers, including those software engineers, we compete with a broader spectrum of companies. That's right. Including technology native companies and startups. So it's a perfect storm. On one end, demand for talent in a very challenging job market for IT. But I do believe that at PNG, we have a unique value proposition for IT talent, which is essentially to work on applied innovation at scale. Scale, because we are one of the biggest CPG companies in the world. And the scale of our innovation across many areas, whether it's AI or MLOps, industrial or consumer IoT, marketing technology is impressive, unique, and definitely way larger than anything you can experience in a startup. At the same time, our technologies get to see the impact of their work. Yeah, They are not small cogs in a big engine. They are part of innovation process end-to-end. And in a big technology company, you may write a piece of code of a solution which may be used by some business you may not even get to know. PNG, on the other hand, you write the algorithm that drives two-digit growth of sales in a specific market. And you see that and you are part of that story and it's extremely rewarding. So I think that for uh, technology at PNG, we can offer a rewarding career and at the same time, working for a value-driven company with strong principles and values, focus on growth and technology for good. Hey, listen, you know, Vittorio, I mean, you got... I love the way you frame it up. And I'm sure the CEO, you know, there's no pressure from the CEO. Hey, 1,100 engineers, no problem. You know, it is, it is going to be a battle. And when I really think, when I hear these numbers is just how much better our lives could potentially be as consumers, right? If all these products keep innovating at scale, this is a really great time to be alive. You know what I mean? As a consumer but, and as a technology worker. Vittorio, I want to say thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. But before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Vittorio, this is where we ask you questions outside of the world of work so our audience can get to know you a little better. Are you ready? Yes. All right. We see on your LinkedIn that you went to school in Italy. Tell us about, you grew up in Italy. Is that accurate? Yes. I was born, raised in Italy, but for the last 20 years, the US has been and is now my home. There you go. How often... I know last two years have been brutal, but how often do you get to go back home? Well, usually it's once a year. Just once a year? Nice. When I was in high school, I dated a girl who was an Italian and I got to 
be invited to an Italian family meal? I want to know, does your family have epic, huge meals? Uh, I want to say epic. So I have a, I have a, a 14 years old was uh, more American than Italian, I'd say, <laughs> at this point. And so, uh, but we still, I mean, food and uh, soccer are the two things that, despite being really much at home in the US, I still keep of uh, my original uh, country. So, what is, in your opinion, the absolute best Italian dish? Uh, well, there are so many, it's <laughs> difficult to choose. <laughs> Not a problem. When you think about what you do outside of work, are you a builder outside of work? Because you're a builder at work. Do you build things at home, whether it's with your hands, technology? What do you like to do when you when the work day is over? Yeah, I think uh, sometimes working with my hands and away from a keyboard is a way of uh, you know recharging a bit. And I like to work on my motorcycles, but I must say I'm much better IT professional than a mechanic. <laughs> what kind of motorcycles do you ride? I uh, I have three motorcycles and they're all twins. I like two cylinders. So Ducati, Harley Davidson, and a Buell. A Buell. Okay. Yes. So you got you ride all twins. Are these all cruiser bikes or are they street fighters? No, there's uh, the, all of them. A cruiser, a street fighter, and a racing bike. Oh, my man. This guy likes to go fast. Have you ever raced your bike on a track? Yes, I did. I, I took my Ducati on a track, but what, that was 20 years ago. <laughs> Still, it was blazing fast. Then if you're a race fan and a motorcycle fan, I got and you're Italian, I got to believe, are you a Valentino Rossi fan or did you like MotoGP? I like MotoGP and as any Italian, you know, I was a fan of uh, Valentino, but Ducati, where my heart is, is Ducati. Okay, so you're more allegiance to the team. Yeah. <laughs> For anyone who's listening- and to the brand. Yeah, who everyone's listening and not familiar, Ducati is high-end Italian. It's like the Ferrari of motorcycles. Uh, beautiful bikes and known for its legendary roar. Uh, when you run a Ducati and you were, if your eyes were closed and a Ducati went by, you would know that it's a Ducati. Albert, I'm sure that are the, the majority of the listeners are very familiar with Ducati. You don't need to explain. Ah! <laughs> you never know. Vittorio, it was awesome having you on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing your, what you're up to at PNG. Thanks for sharing also a little bit about your career. And thanks for sharing a little insight into your world outside of work. It was awesome having you on the show. Thank you, Albert. It was a pleasure. <laughs>